Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In the spirit of reconciliation, the entire team at Curious Freedom acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, waters and community. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people listening today. I would like to acknowledge in particular the Darug people who are the original custodians on the land on which I record this podcast. Thank you for showing us what curious freedom can look like. Hi, and welcome to Curious Podcast with me, Cassie Furija, and friends. And today I'm so excited that I have one of my beautiful friends back on the podcast, Brooke. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you. How nice to be here and to be looking at your lovely face. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that lovely compliment. <laughs> so, Brooke, before we get into having a really interesting conversation because all my conversations with you are interesting. Do you want to tell the listeners, if they haven't heard of you, who you are? And then for those long-term listeners of both of our podcasts, do you want to catch us up to where you are at the moment and what's happening in your life and just give us a little intro to who you are? Sure. So I am (laughs) Brooke McCallery. I'm an author. I've written about slow living for about 10 years now um, and written a few books about it. I used to host the Slow Home podcast with my husband, Ben, and did that for about eight years or so, I think. And just this past 12 months, we've really shifted gears and I'm writing a lot more online still exploring what slow living means, but doing it more through a lens of curiosity, I guess, and seeing all the different ways that it can show up in the world and in my life. Yeah. So I write on a website called The Tortoise, which is hosted over on Substack and I've got a community there. And Ben and I also now host a monthly podcast together called The Tortoise, where we sort of dig into a topic every month and look at it through the lens of slowness and the possibilities of that. Yeah, that's in a nutshell where I'm at. Yay! So we're having a curious conversation today. (laughs) So welcome to my new podcast, Curious Freedom. And I am excited about exploring what curiosity can look like for different people and what freedom can look like for different people. So what does curiosity mean to you? That is such a good question. My immediate response is that I never used to be a curious person. I think podcasting, when I used to host the Slow Home podcast, it was an interview-based podcast, so obviously I had to get comfortable asking questions of people. And I realized really early on that that's not something I was comfortable doing. I think that I was raised to be polite, you know, and not 
ask too many questions of people because that's impolite, you know, and precocious maybe or something. So it took some real training for me to learn how to be curious and allow myself to be curious. So I think that's sort of where I started from. And it's built ever since, to be honest, in the last sort of seven or eight years. And I think it ties in really nicely with slow living, which is something that I'm really passionate about and fascinated by still, because to me, a lot of slow living is about noticing and noticing is really closely related to the idea of wonder and awe. And I think that all of those things are just about being curious. It's about noticing little details or noticing how I'm feeling or noticing thoughts or, you know, noticing how certain things spark a particular response in me. And all of that is curiosity. It's sort of allowing myself to follow those paths when I feel like there's something there worth exploring, you know, and quietening that voice in my head that's telling me I'm being precocious. <laughs> I love that. I've been thinking, funnily enough, a lot about curiosity. And I feel like I'm similar in that I also didn't think of myself as being very curious either. And learning to be more curious is this next phase of my life. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> is figuring out how to be more curious about myself and how to encourage other people to be curious about themselves. I mean, I've been doing that in my work for the last 11 years, being curious about people and their habits and the way that they think through things. I'm such an extrovert and I'm such a number seven on the Enneagram, so internal reflection is not my strong point. <laughs> But I feel like I am better at it and getting better at it. And I love that you said that you felt like you didn't have permission to be curious about other people and about things. Because I think that that has just been a light bulb moment for me as you said it. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I can see that I feel similarly that I was never given permission and maybe I was, but maybe I internalized that as not being given permission and that I just had to accept how people are and not wonder about why they think the way they do things or why they do the things that they do or what motivates them. So yeah, thank you. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> If it helps, I'm still very much negotiating all of that, you know, permission to be curious. I think it's an interesting thing. I don't know if it's a gendered thing or if it's a generational thing, but I very much felt like it was not particularly agreeable for me to be too curious, you know, and I was always happy to fit in, follow the rules and, you know, not make too many waves. And it wasn't until I was probably an older teenager and in my 20s that I'm like, oh, it's fun making waves. And then, you know, I go through these stages of like making lots of waves and then shrinking back down and not making any. And that was probably me and continues to be me, no doubt, allowing myself to be curious about different things and, you know, trying different things. I'm a big fan of experimentation and I think that has shifted my relationship with curiosity a lot because to me experimenting is very fluid. You know, you can't really fail an experiment. It's just like, I'm just going to see what happens when I do this. It's sort of like asking what if and being okay with whatever the answer is. So experimentation is probably the most practical way I have embraced curiosity, I think, over the last few years. And I've tried it in lots of different things and continue to try it in lots of different things. And it sort of maybe took some of that fear of stuffing up away, if that makes sense. I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned from you is that experimentation. 
and that lets us practice things. So I have two big people in my life that I can thank for that. Is You is one of them <laughs> and another person is Tash Corbin is in that really showing up in how experimentation is like the antidote to perfectionism in that Mm -hmm. you don't need to get it right. Our kids are doing science at school. You know, I hated science where you had to do your hypothesis and then you had to do the experiment and then you had to do, you know, what you learned from the experiment. It's funny because, you know, Ollie will come home and I'm like, oh, what did you do in science today? You know, what subjects did you do? And he's like, oh, we had to do an experiment, which is the fun part, which is always the fun part of science for him. It's not the hypothesis and the whatever the rest of the I hated science. (laughs) But, you know, that's what I've learned from you is that like we can just experiment and see how things feel in our body and Mm -hmm. see how things feel in our world and what are our thoughts and that curiosity of like what does this experiment look like? It doesn't have to be perfect. I can have a hypothesis of how it's going to work for me, but I'm open to being proven wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) and proven differently. Yeah. And I think that that word open is really important, actually. It's like, it, it's really saying, let's see what happens, you know? Sure. I mean, when I go into certain experiments, I'm like, maybe this is going to be the outcome or here's what I'm almost hoping is the outcome, but it's remaining open. It's like staying in the what if rather than kind of getting stuck in what we want the answer to that question to be. I was just thinking about that with When I listen to you and Ben on the tortoise, you can hear a really strong theme at the moment (laughs) with you encouraging Ben to journal more. (laughs) Yes. And and I'm laughing because I find that I am curious about myself when I find something that works for me, like writing has worked for you. And so you're like, Ben, just do it. (laughs) It might be the answer that you're seeking. (laughs) And how funny I am with that when it comes to my stuff, like that works for me. And being the extrovert and like the personality that I am, I'm all like, everybody do this. It will probably work for you, even (laughs) though everybody has their own different personalities. But I'm like, just give it a practice. Just experiment with it. But I'm also a lot like Ben with like, yeah, no, like I'm good. I'll do it in my own sweet time. I've got my own thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably a fundamental difference in mine and his personalities. Like I have spent the last 10 years, I guess, experimenting really broadly with things that help me feel like I'm living well. And that has looked like so many different, so, so, so many different things in so many different areas of life that it's almost become habitual for me to be like, just try it, just give it a shot. What could go wrong? You know, whereas he's like, you know what? I haven't had to do 10 years of self-exploration. I'm good. I'm fine. (laughs) And he is, he's fine. But I'm like, it's really good. It's a really good tool. You sure you don't want to just play around with it for a while? (laughs) I'm a bit annoying. And loving and gracious <laughs> and all the things. So I think that's a good conversation. Let's go down that path because I felt, again, I would really identify with Ben in this conversation mm-hmm. where I'm like, yeah, no, nah, I'm all good. I don't need to try journaling. I hate it. I hate writing. My <laughs> hand cramps. Like I keep coming back to the fact that I am not a very reflective person. I, I, although I think 
I need to stop saying that because I feel like I am. I'm just a very reflective person in conversation. Like I love verbally processing, Mm -hmm. whereas you may not because you're an introvert or you may because you're a woman. I don't know. I had this conversation with Maz Compton a couple of weeks ago about women being verbal processes and whether or not it's a, a gender thing or if it's a personality thing. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I mean, I certainly do verbally process things sometimes, as Ben would 100% agree to, you know, I'm just like, I just let me talk it out. I don't want a solution. I just need to talk. And that has actually been, as a segue, that has been a really helpful, tiny tool in like, my own relationship with myself, my kids, with Ben, with lots of people reflecting on when I'm just processing about something out loud, you know, when I'm just kind of verbally working things out or venting versus when I'm looking for a solution. And it was like a real eye-opener for me, for him, when he's like, so sometimes you don't want me to help you fix this thing. I'm like, no, I just need you to hear me. That's all. We just listen. That's it. So I definitely do verbally process some things, but for the most part, I don't think I know what I'm thinking about things until I write about them. That's probably the way that I will really put my thoughts in order. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. That's how I put my thoughts in order and then I'll talk about them. But typically writing is where I do most of my reflection. And maybe it is because I'm introverted, like super, super introverted. I don't know. I can't answer that either. (laughs) I don't know either. (laughs) So tell us about... I'm just experimenting. (laughs) Yeah, you're experimenting because I feel like I'm being invited into an experimentation with journaling. <laughs> or maybe it's just the echo chamber of Brooke that I'm sitting in at the moment <laughs> that has got me thinking that I need to journal. But it's not just Brooke. It's a few things that are coming out around me at the moment that I feel like I'm being extended this invitation. So tell us more about what writing can look like. It's an ever-changing practice for me. So I probably from when I was in my teens, have practiced Julia Cameron's morning pages. Not every day, but I go through periods. You know, I might go through a month or three months where I get up most mornings and I will write in a, just a crappy school, like school style notebook, three pages of longhand stream of consciousness writing. And that's something that she goes into depth in her book, The Artist's Way, exploring and sort of talking about how it helps get the brain unstuck and it gets words flowing. And her perspective is one of helping innately creative people who may not believe that they're creative unlock the artist within. So for me, that was really my first, I mean, I I had a diary when I was earlier in my teens and I would write little letters to my diary and, you know, about boys and friends drama and all that kind of stuff. But It wasn't really until I think my dad gave me a copy of The Artist's Way when I was maybe 17 or 18 that I discovered that it could be used for more than that. And it still amazes me when I I sit down and practice morning pages that, you know, page one is kind of top of the brain stuff, whatever I've got on that day, or if something's annoyed me, or if I'm frustrated, or if I'm particularly excited about something, that's what comes out on the first page. And the second page is kind of digging a little deeper and maybe I'll start to process something that happened during the week or, you know, a random memory will pop up and I'll just follow that. And it's the third page that I start to write things that I did not even know I was thinking. And it's always, always astounding to me what will come out in that. And it's not a practice that is designed to produce anything that I would ever even read again, let alone share with anyone. 
So it's kind of feels like a safe place for me to just let everything out. And I mean, I wouldn't let anyone read it. There is no way. And once a notebook is full, I will just recycle it because it's not somewhere that I would want to come back and, and capture things that I've written. So that's morning pages, but more so now, I think, and I don't know if it's because I've become better at accessing that part of my brain over the last 25 years, but God, that feels like a long time. I, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that's wow um that is a quarter of a century <laughs> yeah I don't know if I've become better at it or if I'm more well versed in my own kind of inner reflection or maybe I've gotten lazy I don't know but I now kind of have more of a directed approach to writing and I'll dip in and out of it again over time like sometimes I will write religiously every morning and sometimes it might be poetry sometimes it might be a letter sometimes it might be an exploration of an idea and then I won't do it for kind of two or three months. And that's fine. I used to feel like I had to be consistent for it to be worthwhile. But now it's more a tool that I use when things feel sticky or heavy. Okay. So I'm really curious, Brooke, what is capturing your curiosity at the moment other than writing? <laughs> <laughs> I was totally going to say writing. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us about that. That's I would love fine. to hear that. No, no, no. I have many other things that are capturing my curiosity. You know what I've been really experimenting with this year has been the power of tiny, tiny incremental change or incremental improvement. So I every year I try and instead of having a news resolution, I will have, you know, a word, a guiding word or phrase, like a lot of people, that I try to apply to my whole year. And this year it's 1%. And really that 1% is kind of in response to having some health issues and having pretty low energy levels on the whole and having to really recalibrate what it looks like to be able to get things done while also looking after myself. And the 1% is sort of born from that, from that need to really manage my energy and my expectations of myself, but also experimenting and playing with the power of those tiny incremental improvements or actions and seeing what they might add up to over a month or six months or a year. And I'm just kind of being now at the end of August, you know, two thirds of the way through that experiment. And I feel like I'm only just starting to see those incremental kind of shifts come together in a way that actually feels visible. So it's been really fascinating to experiment with that over the last eight months and reflect on on how I feel about it going, oh, you know, here's this 1%, it's not doing anything, it's not doing anything, it's not doing anything. And suddenly I look at something and I'm like, oh, it is doing something. So that's been really interesting to kind of observe in myself as someone who both loves slow living and is very impatient. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the 14-year-old in our house has just picked up Atomic Habits and is doing 1%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's a lot like his mother though, a lot like his mother in that he can go hard at things for three days yep. and then not do it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fascinating to watch him experiment with 1%, although mm-hmm. in reality I feel like it's 90% because it's the 90% effort for three days and then 0% effort for the rest of the year. So tell us a little bit about what 1% has practically looked like for you and also listeners, you can go and listen to Brooke's amazing podcast because she talks about it in her podcast and in her writing. So I'll put links to show notes so you can follow her everywhere. But for those who have not been following along (laughs) yet, catch us up. So I think I sort of tried to break it into two different ways of looking at the 1%, you know, and the first was just super practical. What is 1% of a day? And 1% of a day is just like a hair under 15 minutes, I think. So, you know, I thought, well, what can I do in 15 minutes a day that might shift the needle on something slightly? So that's sort of one way I look at it. And, you know, I kind of nominate one or two parts of my life every month to try and apply that 15 minutes a day-ish or one and a half hours a week to shifting the needle on a little bit. And often that tends to be my garden or writing projects, which I will not talk about. Um, (laughs) You can talk about it. Just don't ask me to do them. (laughs) I promise I will not. Yeah. So they kind of, those and and what I call boring self-care, you know, particularly in the weeks and months where my health is not great or my energy is really, really low, I have to shrink things back to the very bare bones basics. And that is boring self-care. So things like making sure I take my supplements, drinking enough water, going to bed at a reasonable time, you know, taking a moment to do something that makes me feel cared for from within. They're those moments of boring self-care that when all else fails, I will spend my 1% on. But otherwise it might be, you know, going outside for 5, 10, 15 minutes and pulling weeds or like I did this morning, I planted half a dozen radish seeds and that's it. That's my 1% for the garden today. And it's been really cool to see how those tiny incremental actions, like literally sowing half a dozen radish seeds in time, adds up to something far greater than the sum of its parts, you know, and it just, it takes time. And literally the seeds that we plant today in three months will have grown into something else. And that's sort of the whole analogy kind of wrapped up in in one with the 1% experiment is like the seeds that I'm sowing, they may be invisible for a very long time. and 
it's the ripple effects from those tiny incremental actions may remain invisible for a very long time. But what if, you know, my decision to get up in the morning and stretch for five minutes while the coffee's brewing leads me to feeling that slight bit better physically, you know, my shoulders feel a little looser or my head doesn't feel as full. And what if that then ripples out into the work that I do or a conversation that I have with someone or leaving me to feel that slight bit more patient with my kids when they come home and they've got a million things to tell me and got other things that I need to be doing as well. Like, I really love the idea that what we're doing with these tiny little pockets of time can add up to something far greater. It's just that we've got to have faith that they are, you know, adding up to to this greater thing and that we'll probably never see the outcome of it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. This is what I love about having conversations with fascinating people is where my mind goes as well in these things is like, can we live in the tension that we may never know the impact of something? Like, Mm. I mean, we have that in the tangible, in we create a podcast every week or every month Mm -hmm. now for you guys. And you have no idea about the stories that people take with them from what you say. Like, you know I'm a super fan of yours, but you didn't necessarily know that I really attribute that idea of experimentation to you and to practices and practicing things like Tash Corbin. Like, but those are the things that I've heard from both of you through podcasts. <laughs> and that has absolutely revolutionized the way that I approach things now. So they're the ripple effects that we may never know about some of the words that Mm -hmm. we've said and ideas that we've chatted about that impact other people. But I'm also fascinated (laughs) by the unseen ripple effects that we may never know how we have changed because it's such a slow incremental change or Mm. that we didn't even know changed within ourselves. Like what about some things that we may never know. (laughs) We may never see the outworking of them, or we may never be able to attribute it to the seed dying and being planted, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what appears to be a dead thing (laughs) being planted. Like what if we never see the outcome of that 1%? Yeah. And it's a tension. You're right. Like it's how do we live in that tension? And I think that's most of it. I think the majority of what we do and the way we show up in life and the decisions that we make and the actions that we choose to take or not take, we don't really tend to see the majority of the outcomes of those. And I think it's finding a way to acknowledge that they still make a difference, you know, whether it is just like, you know, adding bits and pieces to the compost heap, right? And it's it's from that compost heap that something else down the track will grow and we don't know what that will be. But the compost is the reason that the thing can grow. But the compost, when you look at it, it's just crumbly soil, you know, it's got some worms in it. That's, that's kind of it. You know, maybe 99% of what we do ends up in the compost heap. <laughs> Not in a depressing way, I promise. You know, and it's that that allows the 1% or that seed or that, you know, that idea to germinate or that ripple to be felt. I don't know. It's probably got something to do with like having faith that what we do matters. And that then for me is very closely tied to the idea of self-esteem and value and perhaps coming to understand that everything that we do matters, even if we don't ever see the outcome of it, is probably very closely tied to 
like the way I view myself in the world. And I've probably come to accept it a lot more as I have come to develop better self-esteem. I'd never mm-hmm. really thought about the two as being related before, but I think that there has to be some reason why there are periods in life where you feel like nothing that you do makes a difference, right? You know, and we all know that feeling. It's like, what oh, do I even bother? Nothing I do makes any kind of impact. And then there are other times where we can see or we can feel or we have faith that what we are doing matters. So perhaps it's got to do with, you know, the way we view ourselves in the world. Yeah. It's a really interesting question though. Like, what do you do with all of that output if you're not seeing definitive results? How do you make peace with that? I love that concept of having faith that it does and it will and it will eventually and that in some way, shape or form, you will see that hindsight has 20-20 vision. And because it is so easy in the moment to despair and to go to hopeless despair and to go to nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be Metallica and sing, <laughs> <laughs> nothing else matters. Yeah. But that's not the full story and that we also know where that thinking leads mm. is that it can lead to shame and guilt because you can feel like you've wasted opportunities like and go to shame and go like when I think about you know bringing it back to decluttering and organizing and keeping your home tidy like you can go well it's pointless you know like even your gardening like weeding what's the point they're just gonna grow back again tomorrow but if you don't do those 15 minutes today then you've got to do 30 minutes tomorrow to achieve the same result Mm -hmm. And so in tidying and keeping on top of it, like it can feel overwhelming if you're looking at how much there is to do. Yeah. But when you break it down into chunks, like I I find that helpful to me is going, okay, but what if this 1% does matter? What if these 15 minutes does matter today? Because then I don't have to spend 30 minutes tomorrow. I Mm -hmm. could just spend another 15 or I could just spend one minute. You know, like it all matters because it's all contributing. And even like, this is where my mind went when you were talking about compost is compost is crap and you can use even more specific words than that in your mind, but that's what it is. And yet it does produce beauty. Mm Mm-hmm. And so even in the mess of our lives, even when we're going through hard things, how do we hold on to that faith that that crap is going to produce beauty and joy and hope and that there is going to be something Mm -hmm. worth it in the end because I'm just in the composting season. I'm just creating all the compost. (laughs) I'm chucking everything in the compost knowing that in time that I'm going to get radishes. I don't like radishes, so I would <laughs> never. Like you were talking about planting radishes. I was like, why? Why would you do that? Of all the things you could plant, why would you plant yes. radishes? <laughs> Go pumpkin or sweet potato, something that's actually nice tasting. <laughs> I promise I but will grow, I grow these, yeah, these big daikon radishes. I promise they're delicious. No. Yeah, but look, I'm not going to force writing or radishes on you. It can be, you know, we can grow whatever you would like. 
<laughs> but I, but I think there is something really helpful in that, like having some kind of an you know, analogy. And I like composting. And I also think about that, funnily enough, with my writing. I'm working on kids' books at the moment. And as someone who's written nonfiction for adults for a long time, it's like clunky and it's hard and it's completely different. And most of what I write is genuinely terrible. But this analogy of the compost, like none of it's wasted. It's all going into the foundation on which I will eventually grow something decent. You know, And I like that idea. It, it really kind of takes the pressure off everything having to count in the moment. Mm. It is what it is, right? You know, I spend 15 minutes weeding in the grand scheme of the world. Is that going to make a big difference? No. But to me, it makes a difference. A, because I'm just choosing to enjoy it for that 15 minutes that it is. And B, because I think it, I was thinking about this yesterday and it kind of connects me to the idea that like a weed is not being a weed to be annoying. A weed is just doing what it's doing. It's, it's living its life. It's growing where it's going to grow. Same with kids making a mess in the house, right? It's sometimes, some days I'm like, why do I bother? You know, this place looked amazing at 9.30 this morning and then everyone sweeps in and it looks like a bomb's gone <laughs> off and, you know, why bother? And I just have to remind myself that that's life and the fact that there's stuff all over the floor and there's a school bag in the middle of the room and why is there, you know, a computer in the middle of the kitchen and that's life. It's because I've got people around me with me who I love, who are living and we're making mess and we're bumping up against each other and sometimes we annoy each other and most of the time it's okay. Actually, that's the living part, you know. I talk a lot about slow living and I think I focused for a long time on the slow and forgot to focus on the living part. So, you know, it's sort of reminding myself that a weed is growing because it's a weed and a kid is, you know, rumbling through a house because they're a kid. Like it's it's sort of flipping it and that as well I think removes the pressure of everything to have like a, an immediate impact and just go, well, it's life, it's life. Everyone's living in this space and, you know, whether that's a weed or a kid. <laughs> And for me, I was thinking about this because I was thinking about our future conversation this morning and also the past conversation that I've had with you in my head about self-care <laughs> when I was listening to your podcast about that <laughs> is I was putting the washing on this morning and then I was hanging out the washing and I was tidying the house back up to, <laughs> it was 9.30, so I was doing that 9.30 thing. And you can easily go to what's the point. Mm -hmm. But for me, that was self-care. Like I was like, this can be part of my self-care practices. And it's also house care. It's also benefiting the house and yep. benefiting other people in the house. But for me, and this is not everybody, and I'm not at all saying that you have to do this and it has to be self-care for you. You do you. You're a magnificent person no matter what you do in your house. But for me, it was like, oh, this is a form of self-care for me because it means when I go out into the kitchen to make myself another cup of tea when we've finished our conversation, I can feel relaxed because I only need to make a cup of tea. I'm not like, Ugh, and now I have to do the dishes and now I have to do this and now I have to do that. Like, I think we don't need to flip everything. We don't need to reframe everything. Sometimes life is crap and sometimes mm -hmm. things are hard, but mm -hmm. I can reframe some things if I choose to. And the reframing of like, wow, what an opportunity it is to hang out these clothes because I get to be out in the sunshine and I get to care for my family in this way. And I can be thankful for the clothes that we have. Like I can be grateful. 
And I can use these opportunities to recognize how grateful I am. One, to be grateful, but to also reframe it in like, this is self-care for me. It feels good. My future self will thank me when I come in, when I go out, leave my office at five o'clock and realize that I haven't left washing in the machine that now needs to be hung out in the cold, almost spring evening. (laughs) I can go, wow, thank you, past self, for doing this. So I can just bring dry clothes in at five o'clock in the evening. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you make a really good point that like, we don't always have to flip things and sometimes things do just suck. And I agree a hundred percent. And I think the worst thing that we can do is to try and suppress that. You know, I think it's important to meet ourselves where we are in the truth of it. But I also think that it's important to do things when we can whether that's gratitude, whether that's tidying the kitchen, whether that's, you know, sitting with the kids at night and listening to them for an hour, like decompressing from their day, whatever it is, do things when we can so that when we can't, it's okay. You know, we've built up that foundation. We've built up that compost heap for want of a better analogy. We've built up the deposit in that bank account. And that gives us a really healthy base from which to have days where that's not going to be the case. You know, we're going to have days where we don't have the energy to do the things that we would otherwise do, or we don't have the capacity to, you know, be emotionally present as much as we would like to. And that's going to be okay. You know, and I think that somewhere in the middle of that lies some kind of wobbly balance between, you know, finding gratitude and reframing and viewing these things through a positive lens. And that's a really helpful thing to do most of the time, because there are going to be other times where it just doesn't happen. And I think for me, like, I don't really subscribe to the idea of balance in a more immediate sense, but I think over a long term, over six months, over a year, can I look at the way that I've managed things and do I feel okay about it? And Typically, you know, if I do the things when I can so that when I can't, it's not tragic, uh, I end up with some kind of, you know, wobbly, decent enough balance. And I think that that's where self-compassion and kindness comes into it too. Like, I think that we often have the choice of the two different pathways to go down. So we walk down shame and guilt and then where Mm -hmm. does that lead? Like, does that make you feel better? that you're shaming and guilting yourself over every little thing? Or do we walk the road of self-compassion and kindness and grace? Mm. And where does that lead? <laughs> like, I kind of feel like it's little red riding hood, <laughs> like going out for a walk to grandma's house and I can go follow one path and the wolf will jump out at me on the one path. Or I could recognize that the wolf is down that path and choose to go the other way. And having kindness and compassion doesn't mean that the wolf doesn't find you on that path and jump out at you and go, hey, take me to your grandma's. You know, I don't know if this analogy is working, (laughs) but like it doesn't mean that life is roses and unicorns and beautiful, but there's gentleness along that way. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, as you say, the wolf will show up where it's going to show up, right? But how we deal with it when it does might be very different if we have given ourselves that level of compassion and kindness versus if we've beaten ourselves up, you know, and kind of going back to your question of how do we deal with not ever seeing the results of those 1% efforts? Maybe that's it. You know, maybe the result is in how we deal with something really difficult down the track or how we reflect on it and make sense of it and move forward from it. It may not be in any kind of direct, obvious, quantifiable sort of response to anything other than when you look 
back. You can say, oh, I was able to do this or respond in this way because of the ways that I was gentle with myself or the ways that I was kind to myself when I very easily could have not been. Mm. I literally could talk to you all day, but I know that you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I can't talk to me all day, no. (laughs) (laughs) You, as an introvert, also tap out at a certain point and go no yep. more talking <laughs> that's true whereas that is true I'm ben like, will attest to no, that. let's keep talking let's keep talking <laughs> so thank you brooke for the energy that you have brought to us today thank you for always showing me what it looks like to be curious and kind to myself Thank you for modeling that so well for me. And thank you for the conversation that we've had today. And thank you for continuing to be a friend in my ear on my walks in the morning (laughs) and in my showers. (laughs) (laughs) It's an absolute pleasure in all regards. No, it was a really wonderful conversation. Kirsty, thank you. You ask great questions and it's something I know I'll be thinking about a lot and almost certainly writing about a lot too. Well, until next time, Brooke, because <laughs> I am, am looking forward to another conversation with you sometime Absolutely. in the future. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and I hope our listeners enjoy the reflections that we've had today. And I can't wait to be back in your ears again next week. So thank you, Brooke. Thanks, Kirsty. Thanks, Kirsty.